All right, everybody, come on in and find a spot. We'll get started. And we are continuing our series in this hour that you see on the screen, Anxious for Nothing. We'll be doing that for a few more weeks. And then at the end of that, we'll make notes available to you that I've been using. But in the meantime, you just have to stay awake and and listen to me. So we'll start that here in a bit. I want to remind you of things that are coming up quickly. Our community groups meet on Sunday night home groups, first and third Sunday evenings of the month. So this is the third Sunday. We'll be having those tonight. If you would like to be part of a community group, then send the CBC Connect keyword, text that to 97,000, and let us know you'd like that. Our midweek program, we've got kids, we've got teens, we have three adult classes. Two of those three adult classes are continuations from last semester. So if you weren't in those last semester, then you don't want to start them halfway through. But the other one just started two weeks ago, and this would be a good time for you to jump in. As a matter of fact, the teacher for that, Dr. Tim Miller, is out of town this Wednesday, so he has someone filling in from him. He'll be doing something other than First Peter. So if you can't make it this week, you won't be missing any of the First Peter material anyway. So that means uh, a week from Wednesday you could start. Is he going to do First Peter? He's going to continue First Peter? Ryan is? All right then you've got to show up this, uh, this Wednesday <laughs> because we're two weeks into it, and so it'll be, uh, that'll be the third week. You don't want to get uh, much beyond the third week, uh, or otherwise you're, you're starting to miss some real substance uh, at that point. So all of that's going on every Wednesday at 7 o'clock for the teens and kids, 7.15 for the adults. On Friday mornings at 9 o'clock, ladies, uh, moms, we have a mom's ministry called Entrusted, and the ladies have been having a, a great time with that. Great instruction, we have a video component to that, but then also break up into groups, and so it's a good fellowship time, and you're also edified uh, from Scripture on, on the task and the blessed task of being a mom. So that's every Friday at uh, 9 o'clock, and then on Saturdays, uh, we're having the Conquer series. Guys, that's a few weeks in uh, for that, but it's on maintaining uh, sexual purity, and then on Monday evenings, every other second and fourth Monday evenings, we have a heart-to-heart. Uh, so for men and women, we have those ministries. Now, as far as this hour, this second hour on Sundays, we'll finish off Anxious for Nothing in a few weeks. And then on March the 20th, we will have several classes going on at the same time during this hour. One of those will be the Newcomer's Orientation and as we mentioned, first hour that, and as the name suggests, it's for newcomers. It's to give you an orientation to our church. So if you are not a member of our church, but you're uh, looking for a church home and you've been visiting us, we offer that class for you to help you make that decision. Uh, you don't really need to do anything but show up for that. We'll be in one of the classrooms out that back door and across the hallway. And I'll lead that class for four Sundays starting March 20th. Uh, and, and we'll go through a notebook of material together. At the same time, Pastor Larry will be leading all of those who have taken the newcomer's orientation and have joined. And we've had a number of you that have joined the church since the last time. And we have a class called Membership 101 that now gives uh, a deeper dive into the privileges and responsibilities of, of membership. So uh, March 20th, this hour, Pastor Larry, classroom across the hallway, He'll be leading that. Those of you that are part of that class, that one you'll get a direct invitation for because we know who the people are that have joined since the last time we did that. We'll have our young adults having their own class during those four weeks as well. Brother Bob Fight leads that, and he'll be teaching that uh, during that second hour. And then 
If you're not in any of those, Membership 101, Newcomers Orientation, or the Young Adult Class, then you'll be in here, but with a smaller number of people, and we'll be having uh, a number of our guys then lead in here for those uh, four weeks. Actually, the first week, one of our missionaries, it happens in God's good providence, is going to be in town. And uh, I got a note this week from Kevin Sherman. Kevin and Sarah Sherman serve at the um, Central Africa Baptist University in Zambia, but they're going to be in town. They're going to be with us that day. I'm actually waiting to get a confirmation from him, but he told me that day is one of the days he's available. So I'm asking him to teach that hour in here on March the 20th. The following two weeks, March 27th and April 3rd, uh, Billy Cochran is going to teach those two weeks. Billy's in our pastors in training program. We introduced him and his wife Madison at the end of the service last week. And then that final week on April the 10th, Pastor Rich is going to teach. So Kevin Sherman, two weeks uh, uh, from Billy, and then um, one week from, from Pastor Rich. The following week after that is April the 17th. That's Easter. We only have one service that day. It's just our worship service, so we don't have the second hour. The week after that, April 24th, our next outreach series, we'll be sending mailers to the community. You should be thinking about people to invite to the Resolving Conflict uh, series that will start on April the 24th. Pastor Larry mentioned that we have finally settled the dates for family camp, and even though it's at the end of June, uh, you have to make plans for that because it's a four-day event, and so to get off work and all of that, it is uh, June the 26th through the 30th, and so mark your calendars for that, and we'll be getting you the details in the weeks ahead. All right, that's what's coming up. We are in our series, Anxious for Nothing, and I noted last week that disorder assumes order, that in order for something to be labeled as a disorder, that the assumption that goes into that is it can be compared with the way it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to be ordered. So we have all kinds of psychological disorders, for example, but all of those assume that there is the way it's supposed to go, the way we're supposed to think, the way that we're, we're supposed to feel, the way we're supposed to behave. So disorder of any type assumes order first. Likewise, uh, for normalcy, uh, Abnormality assumes normalcy. Abnormal assumes, assumes normal. But Satan seeks to reverse that so that you don't have this wide assumption and understanding of what's normal and what's ordered. And what anybody then calls order or normal is up to them. Satan, Satan has wanted that since the garden. How do I know this? Because you remember the temptation that he gave to our first parents. And whenever you think of Adam and Eve, you should think of you. You should think of you being there. Because they're our representatives. And everything that's gone wrong in this fallen world is a result of what we did in the garden. So Satan says to us, you know, God has told you you can't eat from all of these trees. And they say, well, you know, we got to eat from most of them, but we got this one in the midst of the garden, this tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And remember, Satan says, no, you will not certainly die. Here's the thing. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God. Most translations say knowing good and evil. What that amounts to is being able to determine good and evil. You'll be like God. See, God's the one who says what's normal and what's not. 
what's right and what's not, doesn't he? And he doesn't want any competition with that. But why should he get to make the rules? Maybe you can define what's ordered, disordered, normal, abnormal, good, evil. And God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be able to do that. That sounded good. They did it. Here we are. And Satan's desire has continued, and, and you see it in, in very stark ways in our day. You see it in the way that, that Satan is seeking to change what is obviously order, what is obviously normal, to now being considered just another, and, and then the, the contrast to abnormal, to just be considered just another lifestyle choice, right? Now, that's obvious in creation. It's obvious the way God made, it, made sexuality to be ordered and gender to be based on sexuality and not to be this fluid thing that you determine. But if you, you eat the fruit and you're like God and you determine, well, now I declare myself to be whatever... You guys are aware of how this is happening, right? And what I'm telling you is that's why it's happening. <laughs> that's the reason it's happening. And Satan's always wanted it to happen. So that you have no order, you have no normalcy. That's all determined by us. It's not determined by creation and the creator who gave us that creation. It's not determined by any of that, it's determined by us. Radical, autonomous freedom is absolutely demanded by God's rebellious creatures. And so we have to have the right to determine then what is good, what is normal, what is ordered. And so here you are in a culture trying its best to do that. <laughs> and I say trying its best to do it because here's the thing. Since God made it that way, you can't live with the consequences of what you try to reverse. You can't live with it. It's sad and almost comical to watch a culture try to live with the consequences of trying to reverse what God has set in order. Did you guys see just the last week or two? This gal from Penn State, her name is Leah Thomas. It's a swimmer. I say it's a gal, it's a a man who's transgender and now swims as a woman. Setting records. Go figure. Winning by half a pool length. Here you've got these hapless women who have, who have trained and worked, gotten a scholarship to go to college, are on the swim team, and they're competing against Leah, and they have no shot. And the culture is so imposing that, that they have to smile and take it. She's just one of the team. She's just one of the gals. Listen, when you're blowing everybody away by half a pole length, you ain't just one of the gals. It reminds me, and some of you are old like me, of 
the 76 Montreal Summer Olympics, and one of our swimmers was a gal named Shirley Babishoff. And Shirley Babishoff was absolutely outstanding. She had set some world records. She, she was primed to win gold, 76, multiple gold, as a matter of fact. But then the East German women showed up. Now, you remember there used to be an East Germany and a West Germany? And the East Germans were the communist side, and we had the Berlin Wall and all of that. And it's only been since the Berlin Wall fell and since the Iron Curtain fell in the early 90s that it is, we've gotten the documentation out of East Germany that confirms what everybody knew, that they've been doping all this time. So the East German women show up, and Shirley loses her first race, and then she loses her second race, and she's asked, hey, what do you think about those East German women? And she says, they are terrific, except for the mustaches and deep voices. That's what she said. And she got the nickname Surly Shirley. She's a sore loser. You're just getting beat and you don't like it. Now, she couldn't prove it. And nobody proved it until the documentation came out. But she still has not, she never got her gold medal after she worked all that time. But you see, this is what the world wants to do, and, it, and we have wanted to do outside of Christ since Eden, is reverse the order and who determines the order. We do. We have radical autonomy. God will not determine it. Nature will not determine it. Creation will not determine it. We will. But, you know, when we do that, we just can't quite live with it. And so you got the swim thing, and there's an uproar, and there'll continue to be an uproar, and other sports. And then there's whose bathroom do you get to go in? And I'm a father of two daughters. And if I, my daughters were in school, and they had to share a restroom with someone who a week ago was a boy, it ain't happening. It is not happening, period. And I would be one of the guys showing up at the school board and letting them know it's not happening. And I'm not alone in that, and you don't have to be a Christian to feel that way. So this is what we're set up for. This is what's happening, and it's going to continue happening because you can't live with the consequences of a non-biblical worldview. But here's the thing. People will keep trying. We can't do it. It doesn't work. But that doesn't keep us from trying. It's like the words of that great theologian that I've quoted in the past, John Cougar Mellencamp. I fight authority, and authority always wins. But that's what we do. We're fighting authority. When we say we're fighting authority, we're, the ultimate authority is God. We're fighting God. We're fighting the ultimate authority. Authority always wins. God wins. We can't live with the consequences of this, but that won't keep us from trying, will it? We then, in the midst of all the craziness friend, 
have to bear in mind that there is, in fact, such a thing as order. There is such a thing as normal. Always has been, always will be. And, in fact, you only know disorder and abnormality in comparison to those. So in order to know what's wrong now, anxiety, anything else, you have to know what's, what's right. And we find that in the biblical worldview. And as I pointed out last week, the biblical worldview has these three components. And if you can train yourself to think regularly in terms of framing your thoughts for these three components of creation, fall, and redemption, just you can get the whole Bible in those three things. You can get everything that happens in the world under those three things. Creation, fall, redemption. And in creation, you have order. God tells you the way it's supposed to be, the way I made it. It's no accident, friends. God knew that rebellious people were going to seek to reverse His order. So in the first two chapters of Genesis, just in two chapters, He makes sure that you've got right there the stuff you need in order to determine order and normalcy. He goes out of his way to say, I made these creatures in my image. And then he says, do you remember? Male and female, he created them. Why does he go out of his way to say male and female? Because there's going to come a day (laughs) where somebody's going to be confused about that and seek to reverse that. And Christians are going to be able to go and say, no, this is order. This is creation. This is is normalcy. So the first component of that biblical worldview, always creation, how is it supposed to be? What is order? What is normal? God gives an orientation to His world. And then there's the second component, the fall, sin. Introduces disorder. How's it supposed to go now? What's it supposed to be like? We had roles. Before we disobeyed God, we were made with roles. Adam was made with a role. Eve was made with a role to play. And now we are messed up on what those roles are. And so the man who God made to lead lovingly, now he's going to take charge and he's going to abuse and impose. And the woman's going to hate her position. The fall, disorder, disorientation. And when I give that the roles, that's just one example of myriad examples. If God leaves it there, this place is hopeless. There's the way it was supposed to be. There's the way it is. (laughs) A mess. But God doesn't. There's redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Redemption is reorder. Order, disorder, reorder. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. It's what God is doing in order to make it right. So as you think about every issue, try to think about it through that prism. Think about it in that framework, the biblical worldview, creation, fall, redemption. And as you think about anxiety, as you think about worry, first think about what's it supposed to be? What What were my emotions made to be like? Why do I have emotions? What was my mind made for? Why did God give us the capacity 
to think as we do and to create and to conceptualize in ways that non-image bearers cannot. You have got the greatest dog that has ever existed. I know you do because you've told me. But your dog can't do any of that. The coolest dog in the whole world does not have the ability of the lowest IQ human being in terms of being able to conceptualize, think about things outside of instinct. When do I sleep? Where do I get my food? When's the person who owns this house coming home? And so you've got image bearers and we have that capacity and we've got these emotions and we've got these thoughts and these ability for deep thoughts and creative thoughts that nobody, no other creatures have. God made all of that. So first think about that when you think about anxiety, worry, anything else. And I said last week then, as we look at creation and what God has given us in creation, He has given us vigilance. That He put Adam in the garden, humanity in the garden, to work it and take care of it, Genesis 2.15. And we noted that the Hebrew behind that means to take care of, to guard, protect, keep safe, to watch over, to keep vigil. So God gave us this emotion of vigilance for a good reason. We got stuff to do, so we need to be about it. We have responsibilities. He created us with responsibilities. The false view that people have of heaven messes up their understanding of creation. The false view that people have of heaven messes up their view of creation. Here's why. Because most people, when they think of heaven, they don't think of stuff to do, do they? I got responsibility. I'm going to have responsibilities in heaven. And because you think that heaven and the end game is no responsibilities and just this ethereal kind of floating around naked, strumming a harp. I mean, that's kind of the pictures you see in like those old Bibles, right? And then the wings, too. Yeah, you got to earn your, and you have to earn your wings. So we got these crazy views of heaven, and when, when in fact the Bible teaches that in the kingdom, that we will have stuff to do. And that merges into the eternal state. Well, we'll keep doing stuff. God made us to do stuff. But if you've got that kind of mystical float on a cloud, strum the harp view, then you'll discount what we were really made to be. God is going to restore what we were made to be, and we were made to tend and to take care of it, to have responsibilities, to be vigilant. And that's a good thing. He built in our brains a, a sentinel, a century. It's a God-given emotion that urges us to act quickly in response to any kind of threat. It's the proper constructive concern for the well-being of others and the advancement of God's kingdom. It motivates us to implement a kind of tend and befriend set of, of behaviors. All right, that was the way it was made, we're made to be. Vigilant. The fall, how does that affect that? The fall then moves proper vigilance into, we said, hypervigilance or stuck vigilance. It takes what God made as good and disorders it. Just like with sex and gender, we take what God made good, we disorder it, same thing with everything else. 
And same thing with this vigilance that God made. And so now anxiety is vigilance that's out of control. Takes this good thing, but now disorders it. And that results in flight or fight kinds of behaviors. Anger is one of the fight, obviously a fight response. Anxiety is a flight response to any kind of threat or perceived threat. Vigilance, properly done, is faith's response to any kind of, any kind of threat. And so then there is redemption. There's creation, there's fall, there's the way it's ordered, the way it's disordered, there's vigilance, which becomes hypervigilance, stuck vigilance, anxiety is vigilance out of control, and then there's God's redemption. And in God's redemption in the garden, you see two kinds of responses. In the, gar- in the Garden of Eden, we saw what we did and what the result was and now is. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see what Jesus, you see what Jesus did and you see what the disciples did in following, in following Him. Jesus modeled constructive vigilance in the Garden of Gethsemane. He faced a threat. He faced the dread of death, but He placed His faith in His Father's good heart and strong hands He entrusted himself to the God who raises the dead. The apostles, on the other hand, modeled destructive fear and anxiety. At one point, Peter chooses to use vigilante justice, so vigilance, vigilante justice, cuts off an ear. Another point, he does a flight response, denying the Lord three times. Jesus says, couldn't you keep vigil with me for one hour? So, think of everything through that prism of the biblical worldview. Creation, fall, redemption, order, disorder, reorder, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Think of anxiety that way. So what's it supposed to be like? It's supposed to be like taking care of my responsibilities before God in faith. It's supposed to be not worrying about everything that God has not assigned to me, simply committing myself to what God has assigned to me. And giving my best to do that and then trusting God with the rest, that's what that means. So let me give you a list of things now, an action plan to move that, to move that forward. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, this phrase, anxious for nothing, as most of you know, is taken from there, Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Now, it's a great phrase. It's a play on words, right? Don't be anxious about anything is what Paul is saying. But when we give our energies to anxiety, then we are anxious for no good end. We're anxious for nothing. So you shouldn't be anxious about anything. But when you give your energies to anxiety, it's a dead end. So don't be anxious about anything. Anxious for nothing means you're going in a dead-end direction. And it's from Philippians chapter 4, as many of you know. And from there, Paul gives an, an action plan that includes four things. The first of these is our relationship to Christ. Our relationship to Christ. He emphasizes that, first of all, your relationship to Christ If we're feeling fearful, we have to guard our relationship with God who is our guard. 
So that's the first thing, your relationship to, to God through Christ. If you're feeling fearful, then guard your relationship with God, who is your guard. He will guard your hearts and minds. You guys remember that? Your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, how's that going to happen? How, how is me, you, for us, I'm feeling fearful, and now I'm guarding my relationship with the one who says, I will guard your heart and your mind. Well, you think about, I'm feeling fearful. Instead of thinking about your fears, then, think about the God who's more powerful than those fears. You guard your relationship to God the guardian. You think about that. Who is he? What can he do? How can he change this situation? How can he empower me in this situation? What can he accomplish as a result of this situation? I use my dear wife as a positive example in here a lot because she's a really positive example. And I'm not biased at all. And she gets mad at me for using her as, as an example. So she's mostly positive, but with that, you know, she's not. So pray for me as I give this positive example from the life of my wife. But one of the, you know, things that either anxiety and the impetuses for anxiety and the things that we can get concerned about uh, and worried about are infinite, right? And one of the things for the two of us that that happens with most often is our schedules. So we compare schedules regularly. And we have this big calendar and we write and we manually write it down on the big calendar. And sometimes you look at the calendar and you go, I, I can't do all that. I, I, and, and in particular, Kimmy because she's a weakling. She doesn't have, all, she thinks she has more energy than she has, and so she schedules too many things. And then we look at her schedule, and I can predict for her, you are going to die at the end of that week. <laughs> you cannot do that. And she looks at it, and, you know, at first there's, al there's always some resistance to whether or not she can do it, but then she comes to her senses and realizes that, yes, I am right. And now, some Anxiety can set in. How, how am I going to do this? And we've learned over the years, first of all, to give it to the Lord who can do something about it. And so now, first thing, pray about it and say, Lord, you know what's coming up this week. And you know what you need me to do, so help me to do it. And you know what almost without exception happens, and, and Kimmy can testify to this, almost without exception. Within a day or so, somebody calls and says, hey, I can't make it. Or a couple people call and say, hey, I can't make it. Now, if you ever call and cancel meetings with us, look, it's not we don't want to meet with you. But there are some weeks where that actually comes in handy because there was just too much on that week, and we can get together the following week, or right? And almost without exception, that's what happens. And so with that happening over and over, now we've learned to say, Okay, God can guard, the, God can take care of this. So instead of the first response being, 
oh no, I can't do it. It's God, I know you can do it. You can make this work however you want. I'm giving this to you. So do that first. Second, your action plan includes your relationship with God through Christ and His ability to guard you and your heart and mind, but secondly, also your relationship to the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters. If you're feeling fearful, you have to connect deeply with other people which is the exact opposite, very often, of what we want to do if we're feeling fearful. What we want to do is isolate. And so we want to then, and we want to then internalize, we want to draw into ourselves, and that's exactly the opposite of what God says to do. The more you are thinking about your stuff and all of your stuff that can go wrong and your mind is going in that, remember, hypervigilance and you're, the more you're doing that and you're thinking about your stuff, one of the things that God offers you to help you with that is an outlet in the lives of other people. So one of the things I tell people in counseling them very often for all sorts of things, not just anxiety, is to get involved in the lives of other people. Have other people in your lives, in your life. Yes, people that you can tell about your issue, that's fine. Hey, will you pray for me? I'm really feeling anxious. I'm feeling fearful. That's a great thing to do, to have friends to be able to go and say that to. But I'm not talking about just having friends that you can then spend more time talking about you. You already do that all the time. You talk to, who do you talk to about you? You. You talk to you about you. We think about us all the time. We think about what's going on with us, what's wrong with us, what's coming up for us, what could go wrong with us. You're thinking about that and talking about that all the time to yourself. It's fine to talk about it somewhat to other people as well, but move outside of yourself is the idea. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, right in the middle of this thing on anxiety, Let your gentleness be evident to all. It looks like that comes out of nowhere. What's that got to do with anxiety? It has to do with relationship with other people. You're coming outside of yourself. You're focusing on other people. Third, your action plan includes turning to God to guard your heart and your mind, turning outside yourself toward other people. And thirdly, Thinking about your relationship to yourself and your identity in Christ. If you're feeling fearful, we have to know who we are and who we are to, who we are in and to Christ. If I'm feeling feeling fearful, I need to think about who I am in and to Christ. Well, think about that for a while. Well, you talk about, you talk about, Good stuff to think about. Who am I in Christ? Wow. I'm feeling fearful. Instead of getting more fearful and getting more wigged out, I'm going to say, hey, let me remind myself now, who am I in Christ? I'm adopted into His family. I'm a son or daughter of God. I am a co-heir 
with Jesus Christ. A co-heir with Jesus Christ. You know, an heir, you're going to inherit stuff. Jesus is going to inherit stuff, and you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm, I'm that. I am part of what Jesus says is the light of the world. There you are sitting in your, I don't know how you do your anxiety, you're sitting in your darkened room to yourself thinking about all your woes. And then you go, Jesus says I'm the light of the world. What is it? What does that mean? It means there's a dark world, number one, that needs light. He is the light of the world, and then he's got people like me that are his lights in his world. And I get the privilege of doing that. And I am an integral, and from God's standpoint, because he chose it this way, I am a necessary part of what he's accomplishing in his world, all just from you're the light of the world. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Bible says I'm an ambassador for Christ. What's an ambassador? You got a king, you got a you got you got a, a, a president, you got a, a leader. We've got Christ the King, and He says you're my ambassador. You represent me. So I I want to look the part. I want to play the part. I want to do the King proud. In my representation. Just. On and on, you're the salt of the earth. And I've told you guys, and some of you, I always get people email me every time I say this. I've got 34 of these. I've got a list of 34 of these things that you are in Christ. And if you email me, I'll send it to you. kb at cbctrenton.com. And you should just, if you're, especially if you're an anxious type, man, you should just have that with you. Put one in your car. You know, put it on your phone. Take a picture of it and then go to it. Think about who I am in Christ. But think about also who you are to Christ. Who you are to Christ. God came to earth and lived and died for me. What are you going to do with that? You can just feast on that for weeks. God came to earth and he lived and he died for me. And the Bible says that we play such an important role by his grace, only by his grace, we play such an important role in what he is doing in his world if we are his children, such an important role that God is working all things together for the good. See, we sometimes just say, if you run out of, I don't know how you do needlepoint or cross stitch or whatever, maybe you run out of thread. And we just say, God works all things together for good. And we leave it at that. But remember what the verse says? God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That working that God is doing has us at the center of it. That God is doing all of this, you can think of it this way. Here's my paraphrase. The almighty God of the universe is moving heaven and earth for the benefit of his people. 
He's working all things. Move everything that's happening. He's moving forward for the plan that He has for us. So, who you are in Christ, who you are to Christ. Man, how much Sunday school do you have to attend as a kid? How many Awana programs do you have to go through and verses do you have to remember? How many sermons do we have to hear and Sunday school classes do we have to go through till we finally get it through our, and I include myself, thick skulls? I don't have to worry about stuff that's outside of my control. God has gone out of His way to make absolutely clear who He is, who I am in relation to Him, and what Christ has done on our behalf. If you can get that down, if I can get that down, and I can focus on that, then Paul can say in verse 8 of that Philippians passage, if there be anything that's praiseworthy, and remember that verse, and he's got all of these things, and at the end of it he says, then think on these things. Which brings me to the last one, the fourth one of your God's action plan for your anxiety. If you're feeling fearful, we must renew our mind in Christ. We must renew our mind in Christ. Because everything that I'm talking about here means that you take control of your thinking. Don't allow your thoughts to control you. You control your thoughts. And that's a discipline friends. It's a discipline to not allow your mind to just go. It's a discipline to bring those thoughts back under the Word of God, submitted to Christ's Word, renewing your mind, bringing every thought captive to the obedience that is in Christ. If you'll do those four things, now you've got an action plan for handling your anxiety. Now, we'll continue for the next couple of weeks because this is a big topic, but that should be enough for today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being here before you with your people. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that makes known to us. It is revelation. It is revealed from you about you and who you are and what your purposes are in your world and how we fit into that. And Lord, you have come to earth as, as man. God the Son became man to do what we could not do and lived and died for us. And everything that's happening in this world right now, every moment of every day, is moving forward exactly according to your plan and for the ultimate benefit of your people, our good and your glory. So thank you, Lord, for reminding us of that and help us to be people who regularly repair to that and remind ourselves of that so that then when, not if, difficult things come, the unknown comes, things that we could spiral out of control with our minds regarding, we move as a reflex response. We move back to who is God? Who am I in Christ and to, and to Christ? moving myself outside myself and toward others, taking control of my thoughts so that they don't take control of me. Lord, help us to be people who habitually do that. And as a result of that, you transform us from day to day, from week to week, 
from year to year. Lord, we ask you to do that process on us this afternoon. Help us to do it this entire week and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.